Welcome to the Homegirls. Four top producing mega realtors, moms, wives, and friends talking about real estate and real life. Angela, Kristen, Jessica, and Lindsay are in the top 1% of all real estate agents and would be honored to receive your real estate referrals in Colorado. Join us as we drop a new episode every Monday anywhere podcasts are aired, in real life on YouTube, and connect with us every day on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at HomegirlsCO. Thanks for listening. We love you. Hey guys, your homegirls here today. We are here with Fred Weaver, one half of the incredible duo, Kevin and Fred. How are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me on, ladies. We are super excited to have you on. Um, so I think like, just let's start out like who you are, what you do, what's your spiel and all the good stuff. Ooh, that's a good one. All right. Uh, I'll give you a little bit of my background. So I graduated, um, I'm an Arizona native. My uh, family is actually, my grandma, believe it or not, was an Arizona native. So I'm a third generation Arizona native, which is kind of weird. Nobody has lived here their whole life. Um, I uh, graduated from Arizona State University and started working for Washington Mutual Bank back in the day. My dad was always on the banking side of the business. And uh, that's where I kind of got exposed to real estate, actually, initially, what was through that. And uh, eventually quit my job in 2004 at Washington Mutual Bank because I'm not a really good employee. I don't really um, do well reporting to other people and uh, taking direction from others all the time. And uh, so anyway, I left my job and I met a gentleman at Washington Mutual who exposed me to real estate investment and I decided to go work for him and I had a whopping $10,000 in my bank account and I thought that would last me a long time. Uh, turns out that's not a whole lot of money when you don't have money coming in. Anyway, um, so that's what got me exposed to, to real estate was working at Washington Mutual, kind of following my dad's footsteps, trying to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up. And met this gentleman there by the name of Mark who exposed me to investing and his wife also ran a mortgage broker shop. And I, uh, I actually got my real estate license because I saw an opportunity. They were generating a lot of mortgage leads and uh, they were um, handing them off to different real estate agents, kind of backwards, right? Everybody like, you know, finds the realtor and then thinks about the financing. They somehow were attracting people who were getting qualified with no real estate agent. So I said, I'll go out and get a real estate license. So I did. That was uh, September 2004, a little over 15 years ago now, and uh, started my career at Century 21. And then this guy by the name of Kevin, who you referenced earlier, um, shows up. I probably met Kevin in 2005. Uh, the story on, on Kevin and I is I went to school with his wife all the way back in third grade. So um, story he probably didn't tell you, but the 100% accurate story is she did not want me to meet him because she knew I would have my concerns about him because I was that friend. And you can, you know, if he was here, I'd be like, and you can see why you should be concerned, but he's not, but you guys get the picture. So anyway, we hit it off uh, over a meal. She went to the bathroom, Trisha did, his wife, and we started talking about real estate. He had been taking some uh, Robert Kiyosaki-esque courses at a community college, and that's kind of what we connected over. And eventually, a couple of years later, he got his real estate license, and uh, he interviewed my Century 21 broker and said, no thanks. And he went over to Keller Williams, and he said, you should check this place out. And he recruited me over to Keller Williams in 2007. And uh, about a year after that, we partnered up together. So that's a, that's a little bit of the background of kind of how I got in real estate. So Kevin and I have worked together now for 12 years, started a team in February of 2008. Um, 
I am, uh, from a personal standpoint, I'm married. Uh, my wife and I have been married since uh, 2007, also uh, the year that I made no money. So that was kind of a fun experience. And we now have a, have a three-year-old kid. And so anyway, that's a little bit about me. I'm happy to share more, but there's just a quick little background for you. Did you ever get the gold jacket at Century 20? I was going to ask that too. <laughs> no, I didn't. The uh, the broker's wife, I think, was the one that always got the gold jacket or, or those had gone out of style. But uh, yeah, I got like the rookie of the year. I got some award and um, I've never, I don't think I've ever shared this, but I literally had to go buy like a, a jacket and a suit for this awards banquet that they were doing. And uh, that was the last time I ever wore a jacket or a suit or anything like that. That was terrible. <laughs> Wait, that's a thing? Like, you get a gold jacket? Well, it was a thing. Now, I don't know if they actually handed out gold jackets, but this was a nice, like, award ceremony, Kristen. So I had to, I had to like, show up in, in nice, you know, clothes, which I didn't own. So, anyway. <laughs> you still have it? I love that. I feel like we should put it in a shadow box for you, like, right? on the wall. Or when we come to town, we should, like, spray paint it gold. That's great. You know, I might, I don't know if I have that. I probably gave that away. I, I'm not one to keep a lot of things, but um, I, I can check it out. My friend, Frank Klesitz, I don't know if you guys know him. Kevin actually introduced him to me a while ago. Um, he, he runs viral marketing. He's got a mastermind club and he told me I, that he's going to give me a jacket and I have to wear shoes. And I told him no to both of those. So I'm going to see if I get kicked out of his room because I, I don't like shoes or jackets. <laughs> So when you guys decided to form your partnership, what was the hardest part about doing that for you specifically? Um, so story on that. Um, so Kevin and I both came out of what we would consider to be some partnerships where we felt like we carried more of the load than our other partners. That's probably the nicest way to say that. Um, I happened to be partnered with a couple of guys who I liked and I respected and they were friends, but I thought because they were older, they were wiser. And that turned out not necessarily to be the case. We made some bad financial decisions and I had to really work hard to even become like a third owner in the partnership because um, I was the young guy. And so I felt like I carried a lot of the load and a lot of the stuff. And so when Kevin and I partnered up, he had come out of another partnership with um, and I don't know how much of this he wants me to tell you, but if he didn't tell you, I'll share it with you. It came out of a partnership with a son, a sort of pseudo-esque family member. I don't know if she's technically blood, but, you know, kind of considered her a family member. And uh, same type of thing. She basically, he was doing, you know, a few sales and she was basically the glorified transaction manager and he was splitting the revenue 50-50. So we both came out of this scenario where we were like, hey, if we're going to even consider like sharing an office and at any level partnering together, um, we're, we're going to have to arrange this differently because neither one of us wanted to feel like we were being taken advantage of. I use that term kind of loosely, but we didn't want to feel like it was a, you know, a partnership that, that didn't necessarily support itself. So, it, you know, I, I probably also should stop and say that we weren't trying to create some business partnership necessarily. It, it started because we, we were both doing short sales. We both got married to different people. 2007, we were both broke. We both had lots of debt. And um, we were both trying to survive and stay in real estate. And, um, and so we decided to share an office with each other and split that expense 50-50. And my brother was working for us at the time. And Kevin was paying him to do some stuff on his listings. And I was paying him to do some stuff on mine. And so that's kind of how that started. It was just, let's share an office together. And um, it didn't, it was definitely no grand plans of let's build a business, let's build a partnership. It was like, maybe we can survive longer if we both have to show up to an office and maybe we'll be a little more incentivized to help one another or stay in this game longer. 
And so that's kind of where that started. Um, and then it turned into a partnership when uh, a month after sharing an office together, we decided to teach a class on short sales. And um, like one person showed up, no joke. I think like my brother and one person showed up. Uh, we decided to teach it again because it was such a raving success. Um, the next time like six people showed up. So that was better. And it was through that second class where somebody tried to refer us a piece of business that we looked at each other and said, okay, now what are we gonna do? Like now we gotta figure this out. So um, yeah, that's, that's sort of how the partnership began. And I think the thing I would share about the partnership that most people don't know is that uh, we built it in a manner by which whoever generated the business got the bigger lion's share of the check and the other one got a smaller percentage. So I think early on, if I generated the business, I got like 85 or 90% of the commission and he got 10 or 15 and vice versa. If he generated a piece of business, he got 85 or 90 and I got 10 or 15. And then slowly over time, we just kind of scaled that back until after a couple of years, it finally was 50, 50. To me, you guys seem like you complement each other really well. Like you guys are like this really great, like yin and yang. And I think from an outsider's perspective, looking in, like you always hear such negative things about partnerships and they don't seem to last very long. Um, you guys have like, you know, stood the test of time, if you will. And what do you attribute that to? Like, is it just like no ego? Is it no, there's no competition? Like what is, what are, what's the magic between the two of you? Um, I mean, first and foremost, I like his wife more than him. So that's always been on top of my mind. Secondly, I would say I like his girls way more than him. So that's always kind of been there, right? Like, so, I mean, there is like a, like I said, but there's also a little bit of truth to it, right? Like, like we've known each other for a long time, but I, I think, um, I mean, we, you know, I don't know, depends on how you define ego and what all that looks like. I think to a degree, like, obviously we have a, both have a competitive spirit. We both like to win. We don't like to lose, but I think together we, we choose not to necessarily compete against each other in too many things. Um, although I once told Kevin I could get more Facebook friends than him, and this was before I was on Facebook, and I quickly got my ass kicked and realized that didn't work very well. Um, but in, anyhow, um, yeah, I, I think it's it's just sort of this idea of like I, you know, I, I don't think either one of us is afraid to go out and do business on our own. It's not like we're a part of every single meeting together. We do make some decisions without each other, but we've always had this sort of mentality that like it's just easier doing it with two of you than one. And I don't, I respect people that carry the load on their own, but like the weight you must take home at night, like doing that just seems like a lot. So I think for us, um, you know, having, having sort of that shared weight, if you will, and shared responsibility uh, feels really good. Um, and, and then I think, you know, early on, I think we sacrificed probably the money that we both could have made by sharing the revenue of one business. But I think the longer we've been in it, the more we've realized that we're stronger together. And now we actually create more than we could if we were on our own. So that has, has come into play as well. So Kevin, like with all respect and love, right? Cause we love him, but he obviously has this very big personality right? And he's very well known for his very big personality. And like my favorite thing about Kevin, because I feel like I'm the same, like I'm like the contrarian that is always getting in trouble. Like you and I have joked about me um, needing to go back to the mothership to be like reconditioned and reprogramming because I'm a shit talker. So like, but he's always out here. You're going to get another invite to Austin. <laughs> <laughs> I need to put my tinfoil hat on. Um, but he's always out there like, like, I don't want to say antagonizing people, but kind of like he <laughs> trolls people on Facebook for like a professional living, I feel like. And 
he's very like candid with his language and his personality and all that stuff. So like, to me, you have always seemed like more reserved and maybe a little bit more conservative. Is that true? Am I just imagining that? And how do you deal with being partnered with somebody that's so wild? <laughs> well, I mean, you think, you know, like Kevin, like you said, Lindsay, like Kevin is, I, I don't know what the exact term would be, but he's almost like a professional podcaster, talk show host. I'm not sure what he does, um, but it works, right? Like there's something to Kevin that like he can attract a crowd. He can get in a relationship with people quickly. People appreciate his authenticity. You may not agree with everything about him, but he's easy to connect to, right? And that's like one of his skill sets is just put him out there and like you're going to connect to him, right? So, you know, I, I have the ability, I think, to turn that up when I need to, but that's not my natural strength. Like, I can be in front of a room, but granted, like, I'm not at that level. I don't think, like, I don't think his brashness, if you will, and stuff like that, like, really, like, sets me back. Or I think, honestly, we're probably both like that. You just see him more because apparently he has faster fingers or he's glued to his phone way more than I am or, you know, I don't know. Yeah, we've, we've seen you get feisty. Yeah, we've seen you talk a little yeah, I just got yeah. feisty in the last hour. You should go check out my one of my recent comments <laughs> on one of my friend's posts. Um, it was kind of funny. But anyway, uh, we won't put that on your podcast. You yeah. might be able to take that down. So, um, yeah, I think, um, I think you know, honestly, like we, we jokingly say in between us, and this actually just happened for real this last weekend, that if, if one of us says it, the other one gets credit or fault for it as well. So like I said something this weekend and then somebody like commented and they tagged Kevin in it and he's like, well, I get credit or fault for whatever Fred does anyway. But no, that wasn't actually my opinion. That was Fred's. Uh. So like, there's a little bit of that, right? You're, you're so connected that like you're, you're kind of seen as the, as the same individual. Yeah. Um, I think whatever controversy that he's ever stirred up, I've been a hundred percent behind for the most part. Like maybe like the only place I could say is that once in a while, not in a public forum, but in a private forum, like, like Kevin's patience. Like if you, if you ever talk to Kevin and, and he would tell you what his, his leading behavior trait is low patience. So it's not actually social ability or it's not actually like, you know, being like super dominant. It's actually low patience. Sometimes it shows up like dominance, but it's actually just low patience. And so like sometimes his lack of patience will cause him to just like want to throw the towel in on somebody in a conversation where, hey, we need to hang in there a little bit longer. So I would say like privately, maybe there's a couple times where, where I have to like, you know, kind of, uh, I got it right, uh, and do that a little bit. But there's also been some times, and I, I had one of these a couple weeks ago where I just went off on somebody and he had to step in, right? So there's a lot of similarities. People have said that in some weird sort of way, we kind of almost share a brain. And I don't know that that necessarily means that we think exactly the same, but we tend to arrive at the same place of thinking. Like we might have a different path to get there, but we tend to kind of, land at the same place so you guys are almost verbatim what he said that is what he said so you guys are really in alignment yeah I would say so and I'm sure I mean I've heard him say it so he might have already said this to you guys but of course I wouldn't listen to an interview with him because I have to work with him all day long but I will (laughs) listen to some of your ladies other interviews but um you know I I think the other thing you would hear is that uh whichever one of us feels stronger about a topic like one of us will take the lead on something and it's sort of we have this kind of probably more stated rule at this point but it used to be unstated of hey if it's great like we're gonna high five each other if and it sucks you better stop doing it and like we're just gonna you know immediately stop and cut cut ties and go a different direction so um you know there's other ideas we have where not one of us feels very strong and no action gets taken so that's usually a pretty good sign of like okay it might have been a good idea but if one of us doesn't feel strong enough to act on it then you know no worries so like as, as an example i would just say like the podcast was his thing like i was like 
cool, man. We filmed videos back in the day, short sell power hour. That was a little bit of both of our thing. Uh, if you feel passionate about the podcast, like run with it. I don't have a problem. I'm not going to stop it. I also don't necessarily want to devote my life to running a podcast. It takes some work. Mm -hmm. I think that's incredible. Like the level of trust that you guys must have in each other and just how in alignment you guys are. That's really cool. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to say it's perfect. I don't think it's perfect, but we also don't like, we don't sit around and disagree that often. Um, like there, there's not, there's not that much there. I would say if anything where we might irk each other is just different styles or again, different ways that we might arrive at a certain place. But you know, if you let a, a couple hours go by or even a day go by, like we're both probably going to be back at the same place. Fred, um, how do you stand out? What advice would you give to somebody that's on a team or in a partnership with somebody that's super outgoing and maybe you are more reserved? What kind of advice would you give to be able to stand out on your own and um, you know, show people that it's not just that one outgoing person that's out there as well? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing that I would say to that is when you form the partnership, I, and I, I sort of referenced it, but let me go back to it. When you form the partnership, I think the mistake that gets made by a lot of folks is um, they just go right to the 50-50 split and they don't value the lead generation component. So, you know, Kevin and I's partnership, the reason it worked is because even though he might be the more outgoing one, like we've both always brought basically the same amount of business to the table. That's what has us at a place of 50-50. Um, we still track it to this day, even like whose sphere does more business. And he'll tell you his does because typically he'll do a couple more transactions. And I'll tell you mine does because typically I'm up on volume a tiny bit. So like it, there's still a little competitive spirit there. But that's what I would say is the starting place where I see partnerships go long, wrong a lot of times is that they... Um, you know, their, their skill sets complement each other. However, the lead generator, clearly the outgoing one clearly brings in like the vast majority of the business. And then after a little while, they look up and they look at their partner and they say, whether this is like, you know, sort of uh, internal dialogue or conscious or unconscious, they look up and they say, you know, hey, my, my partner is not bringing value to the table. I could literally go out and replace them tomorrow with a 60, 80, $100,000 employee. And then I wouldn't have to share the revenue 50, 50. And to me, that's where partnerships can, can kind of go awry. So I think there's still, I think the reason our partnership has survived and and I don't know if there's a different model for this. All I know is what's worked for us, right? What's worked for us is that we both, even though my skill set might be a little more execution, a little bit more behind the scenes, keep things together, systems, processes, whatever. At the end of the day, we both contributed pretty fairly to the growth of revenue over the years. Um, and when it's an unfair arrangement, it's always been a purposeful decision of like, that needs to go get built. So go put your head down and build that while I go focus on revenue right there. And we've made that, that decision consciously. How are you both completely out of production? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I've gone on probably three, four, five appointments in the last two or three years, which is probably three, four, five more than Kevin. Um, but I've done it more for my sphere to re-engage with people that at one time, like they didn't do their last transaction with me and I lost them over the last 15 years. Or I gave them to a former member of the team who didn't really do a good job last time. And so I don't want to hand them to another member of my team and have them sort of feeling that I'm completely hands off. So I've purposely chosen a few spots to, to go on some appointments, but I've always taken one of the agents on my team on those appointments and eventually handed the entire transaction off to them. But yeah, for the most part, we're, we're out of production. And I don't know if, again, if you guys talk to Kevin about 
you know, while out of production, we got way more into our sphere of influence and way more into generating business in the last six, seven months. So while we're out of production, there's still a lot we've been doing to communicate to our sphere as a real estate professional to drive more business. What does it feel like? I don't know if that's something you can articulate, but like to get to that elusive seventh level or out of production, whatever um, you want to call it. When we did talk to Kevin, he like, so I asked him, when was your, after the partnership was formed, when was your first leverage piece in play? And he told us that your brother was there like before you guys could even pay him, right? So like Yeah, he's a starving musician, so he signed up for free. It was awesome. Is he still in real estate, by the way? Uh, he has a real estate license. I don't know if his Arizona one's active, but he has a Nashville uh, broker's license. Funny, actually. funny. <laughs> yeah, so like what, what does it feel like to get there? I mean, I, I don't know how many people actually get there. It's very, very rare, but... I mean, I mean, I, I can speak through my experience, right, Lindsay? So I would say that there's probably different experiences of this. What I would say is that it feels way different than probably most people build it up in their head. Uh, I mean, I think the elusive seventh level, stepping out of production, making zillions of dollars every single year with no problems and this well-run efficient system is probably not what it's made out to be. Um, and I understand that my comment here might be directed as hate mail, but I don't mean it that way. But even the great one, Gary Keller, has talked about how deep and wide his talent bench is and then stepped back into the role of CEO this year. Correct. And as much, or I should say in the last 12 months or 18 months. And as much as Gary would want to say that he did it because, you know, he was trying to calm the fears and he's really not in the day-to-day, -day, he's absolutely in the day-to-day. -day. Uh, and so I think that maybe kind of what, what sold to us in the book and in, in any book or, or sort of like what our perception of it is probably not the reality. Um, you know, I would say the further, this is our experience, the further up the seven levels, if we want to speak MRA language, we went, um, the less our, our margins were there, right? We just, we chose to, you know, maybe we did a lot of deals, but we chose to make more money on that to get our time back. And so I think the, the shift Kevin and I made over the last few years in being out of production is more of a conversation of how much am I making for the time that I'm investing in that particular area and less on like how much money am I actually making? You know, because I could step back into production right now and make way more money in real estate sales than being out of production, but I enjoy the benefit of being out and the time that I have back to then do other things with it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, time is the greatest commodity, right? Absolutely. I feel like that's a good segue into asking you about um, what happened, you know, your experience with Keller, you guys were, you know, essentially the poster boys for Keller Williams for a while. So what, I know what Kevin's experience was, what was it like from your perception on what happened and falling out of love and, and moving into this new brokerage and everything else that happened? Yeah, I mean, I think if you understand Kevin's personality, he's probably a little bit more emotional, a little more emotionally based than mine. Not that he made his decision based on emotion, but I think that like, you know, Kevin has a relationship with people at a deeper level. Like I'm the guy that's like, hey, I got my friends over here, including his wife who I've known for years and I'm cool. And Kevin's like, how many friends can I have and call, you know, like, so it's just different mindset. Like I'm a little bit more like smaller circle. He's bigger circle. So all that said, like, I think our experiences of leaving are probably a little different, but again, the place we arrived at was kind of the same. Um, you know, ultimately we fell out of love with, with, with Keller Williams. What does that mean? Um, 
you know, I appreciated the, the growing entrepreneurial company that I grew up inside of from 2007 all the way to 2018, uh, you know, but obviously as you got further into even 2012 and, and beyond, I think it became less entrepreneurial the first four or five years we were there. I liked the entrepreneurial feel, felt like we were a part of something new, something that was growing. Um, you know, the, the opportunities that, that maybe Kevin and I hung around for at, at Keller Williams became jobs, not opportunities. Um, I, you know, I don't know how much you guys want me to say on this. I'll say a lot, but my, my opinion is that, you know, you can even say whatever you want. Yeah. I mean, even the things like the OP role, right. The operating partner inside Keller Williams, that's, that's a role that like, you know, former MCAs and team leaders aspire to someday be owners of a market center and then get an OP role. And now that role doesn't even require ownership in a market center. It literally, it can just be a job. Like they changed the franchise document agreements in the last 12 months. So, it, you know, again, not whatever, like, like the company has a wild success, right? And it's not going anywhere. It's not going out of business anytime soon. But for Kevin and I, we looked up and just went, just doesn't feel like the same company it once was. There's a lot of politics, as Lindsay referenced earlier. We're not real good at like, you know, not calling the, the BS BS. Like when we see it, we're, we like to call it out because, you know, I, we get told a lot of times, you guys said exactly what I was thinking. And I'm like, well, why don't more of us just say what we're thinking? Maybe we could actually create something better than always holding back and biting our tongue. So I think where, where Kevin and I have always sort of been, and, and sometimes that gets you praise and sometimes that gets you in hot water. Um, but we've always sort of said what other people are thinking. I don't think our thoughts have ever been that unique. I just think we're ones that are willing to vocalize them. Um, so for us, you know, um, didn't have the same culture, didn't have the same feel. Um, you know, Gary Keller is what kept us at Keller Williams for the longest time. Um, after we took the regional director role in Colorado back in 2012, like we got exposed to a lot of the mess behind the scenes, you know, it's kind of like the curtain gets open and every company has that stuff, right? So let's be really clear on that. Uh, yeah, I, I think the other big thing, reason that we left Keller Williams is like, we really disagreed with the, with the movement of technology. Um, I, uh, I can appreciate where Gary Keller's coming from. I think his heart is for the most part good on why he thinks he needs to step in and build tech. But for Kevin and I sitting in rooms, small rooms where he shared kind of his vision for tech, we just both looked at each other and we're like, that changes the relationship. You're now no longer my broker. Like you're my technology provider. And I know you're trying, you're saying you're trying to protect me, but I mean, there's also a piece there of trying to protect your own business against, against disruption. So not that they both can't coexist, but the story is always spun from, we're trying to protect the agent, not necessarily the let's just be upfront and honest. This also protects Keller Williams business model. And this is what we're doing. So I think, you know, a combination of, um, of the company not feeling the same that it did, not as entrepreneurial, more stuffy, more job feeling to it, and we're not good at jobs. I think the technology piece, and then also looking at the economics, the actual money. Um, I don't know the year, Kevin probably would know it, maybe 2017. I think combined all of our agents and Group 4610 network um, across all of our locations paid over a half a million dollars back to KW in the form of company dollar. Uh, and royalty. Um, that's not office rent. That's not consortium fees, EH fees, you know, monthly dues, printing, all that. That's just, just straight company dollar and royalty. And um, we also looked at it and we went, hmm, that's about the same amount of money as the business netted. And we went, that just doesn't seem right. Like we're, we're, we're literally paying KW about the same amount as we netted. Now, 
Mind you, we chose to go expand. We chose to go into market centers where we knew we wouldn't get discounted caps. So like, I'm not, this is not a victim story about how, you know, we were done wrong. This is just more of a, a story about, hey, it just didn't work out. We went and we looked and said, hey, if we're gonna keep this model up, we're gonna have to either adopt, adapt the model or we're gonna have to also adapt like kind of who we're aligned with brokerage wise. So um, yeah, that's what I would say on that piece. And you know, the other big thing I would say is that a lot of people think we left Keller Williams for EXP. That is absolutely not true. Um, in June, May or June of 2017, we both had a very serious conversation about, I think we need to look outside of Keller Williams. And we went on a journey for about a year of interviewing other brokers and trying to figure out where we were going to land. So it was definitely not left KW for EXP because I actually thought I would never be at EXP. I said, hell no, when I got asked on multiple occasions. So my first experience, I feel like with the two of you guys, like, like real experience, like where I was like really diving into following you guys on a close level was like basically watching you light a profit share check on fire on a beach. <laughs> Um, and like, to me as a total outsider, it felt very emotional and it's not just you guys, like it has felt like a lot of our finger quotes, top people have left for other places, other brokerages. Um, I mean, if I'm being really candid, most of them have gone to EXP, but it's almost felt like there was this really close inner circle or family and people were dispersing and it, it seemed to be really emotional. So was it that way? Um, do you have a relationship with Gary still? If you, you know, like how, how does that look? What is, was it as, um, and I'm not inferring that, that you were nasty whatsoever at all, but was it as nasty as it like might've seemed to other people watching? Um, so I don't think we intended that the profit, giving the profit share back move to be nasty. Um, on the one hand, it was like charitable. On the other hand, we knew people would react to it. On the other hand, it was a little bit of a pushback to direct comments that Gary made. Like, I mean, did we get mad? I don't know. I, I think we were like, probably we were watching the Inman Connect conference that Gary decided after Crazy. a year to show up to. He probably will never go back and do one of those again. Although I don't know, maybe I'm wrong there. Um, but Brad we, lets the, him in. <laughs> we were watching the Inman Connect conference and Brad's being Brad and Gary's being Gary. Let's just be honest, like uh, sort of their own unique, uh, somewhat abrasive personalities, both of them. And Gary's supposedly being interviewed until he stands up because nobody stands up in an interview. That would be kind of weird if I just stood up right now and tried to take control. But Gary stands up because he needs control. And, you know, he makes comments about how, you know, leadership at EXP, essentially, and we could go find the exact quote, but the, the, the heart of it was leadership at EXP, you know, had said that their company was better than his. And if they felt that way, then they should give their money back to, to Keller Williams and not receive the profit share. And Kevin and I were like, that's such a, like, just a small thing to say. Like, that's dumb. Like, first of all, if you're saying that you don't think I should be depositing those dollars, then, then I'm, I'll take your challenge on, but I'm not giving them back to you. Um, so that was kind of the, the mindset there was just like, Hey, what if we just gave this away to charity and we still have to this day, we need to, we've given some away recently, haven't filmed videos, but, um, but yeah, that was kind of the idea. So I don't know. I mean, you could call it a slap in the face, but I don't know that it was any more of a slap in the face than Gary's original comment. So it depends. Some people saw Gary's comment as a slap and some of people saw it as a very fair statement. So I think our response was just in line with his, depending upon how you want to define that. 
right? Well, and so. I, I certainly, again, didn't mean to say that you guys are being nasty. That's not where I was no, going. No, no, no. So like from my perspective, again, totally removed from it, like, you know, we're hearing all these rumors and whispers. Like, you know, I sat in Gary's top 100 and watched him talk about the, the tech stuff. And then all these people are whispering on the side, like he's just rolling this out because EXP is so shiny with the technology and they're poaching so many of our people. And then we're hearing whispers about a certain somebody that's been appointed to like, you know, the top of the hierarchy within KWRI to like stop people specifically from EXP poaching KW's top people. So like to us, are you I talking think about it, Abrams? Okay. Yes. Which, by the way, Jason. I love Jason. I, I think he's amazing. And we've you messaged can't not him. love Jason. We've messaged him multiple times about coming on the show. So I hope he will come on the show and share his side maybe. But I hope, um, I hope he'll tell you lots of stories. It'd be great. It just, it felt very emotional to all of us. Like it was legit, like the great brokerage wars of 2019. Like you have EXP pitted against KW and it was all anyone was talking about. So, um, and I've met Gary Personally, I mean, obviously, I don't know him personally, but he—he he is an emotional dude. He, you yeah. Know, so it felt emotional from everybody. Yeah, I mean, I, I would—I don't know how you know we were highly invested in KW, so like, I will not sit here and say there wasn't emotions involved, but I think we went through a very like logical, exploratory, year-long look at where we wanted to be, right? And we truly tried to leave on the best terms possible. And I think the day we left or that week we did leave on good terms. I mean, like, uh, we asked to fly to meet him. Um, excuse me, he was out of town. And so we actually couldn't, uh, couldn't go meet him. But we asked if we could fly out a couple days after our announcement and just literally shake his hand, ask for one minute of his time, we were going to get on an airplane. And uh, we asked for it multiple times. And we were told that nah, it wasn't necessary. And he wrote us a really nice email back. Um, but then what happened after that is there, there was just whisperings and there was direct stories from people that we know, trust and like that told us some things were said about us. And, and, and then there was sort of this like, you know, but here's the deal. Like you, what you got to know with Gary is you're either in or you're out. And we knew that. So we tried to leave on good terms, but I'm not sitting here saying I didn't expect any of that. Um, and I'm not sitting here saying that anybody out there is listening right now should even care about this, but you asked, so I'm just addressing it because I'm an open book for the most yeah, part. Yeah, but that's the thing. Like, literally, like, if I had one, like, tagline or overwhelming message for the whole last year, it was like this in general. Um, yeah. But, and I love my company. I'm all in on Keller, but, um, like, it, it broke my heart a little bit to see all these big people leaving. So I can't imagine it didn't hurt his, too. Yeah, I just, I just think, you know, people come and people go and like, we're, we're like, we weren't the first ones to, you know, to, to leave Gary's organization by any means, but I think we might've got his attention the most because maybe it came out of left field for him. But in my opinion, um, that a little bit of, of Gary and kind of his whole tune and his whole model and his whole approach changed over the last few years. And I think that's a fair statement to make. Like my listing, my lead is not necessarily like the, the rally cry today. It's a little bit more of like, hey, we got to deliver tech to your consumer. Let them choose that type of thing. So I'm grateful for my time at KW. People think when I, I disagree with what Gary says or I, I um, expose the, the BS that goes on that I do that because I hate it uh, or, I, or I don't have any respect for it. I actually have a lot of respect for what I learned. I still quote Gary often. I said to somebody this morning, like profits made through expense management. That's a direct quote I got from Gary Keller in an interview one day. 
Um, so I'm very like, very appreciative of all that. But again, we're open books. So like I say what other people don't want to say and like that gets us in trouble. And then it becomes sometimes in our industry, why can't we all just get along? And I understand that sounds good in theory, but all day long agents at KW are trying to recruit agents from other brokerages and all day long bro other brokerages, including EXP are trying to recruit KW agents. And that's just the world we live in. It's the world of business. So um, yes, we can all get along, but there also is a little bit of like, we're also still competitors. So we have to figure out how to compete with one another, but also respect each other and still collaborate under, you know, one umbrella of the real estate industry. Amen. Brad, what are you guys trying to do with NLA Live? Like, what is the goal for that? Um, no, lots of tickets. Please come. Please come to the event. Uh, I'm serious. Uh, no, good, good question. So, um, well, you know, we started that group a little over three years ago with Cody Gibson. And the heart of that group that has always been, like, provide a broker agnostic platform and, and a, you know, a... Uh, a place where people could just hang out and, and just share best practices. So yes, we're going to go recruit and beat each other up out in the real world because that's the real world. But we can also have places where we hang out and share best practices and ideas and they both can live like mutually exclusive. Like, and I think people get sometimes mad because I'll make a post on my public post about KW like I did this weekend and I'll have people unfriend me. And then they're like, well, how can you have NLA? And I'm like, because my opinions are still out here and you have your opinions, but we can still have a place where I don't share my opinions because we've all agreed this is a safe space where we're all just trying to help each other. So Kevin, my heart is absolutely to help each other help the industry. And, and that's a piece of what we do. And that's what Next Level Agents is. Um, and, and it's just a place that doesn't have to be about waving your brokerage banner, but rather just sharing best practices and you know what's going on. And then there's also this other place where I'm absolutely recruiting and attracting for agents to come join me at eXp because it's a lot of fun and um, never made a better business decision in real estate than I did joining eXp. And, and so of course, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wave that banner too. So NLA Live though is a, an event we started three years ago, 2018. We had 200 people show up in Vegas and we had no idea if anybody would show up for the record. We were like, let's try to plan an event and hopefully not lose money. The next year we were like, let's see how big we can get this. We doubled it to 400 people and really actually made less money than the first year, full disclosure. Um, this is not like a money-making event, but of course we're not dumb business people either. We're not trying to lose money. Uh, and then this year we are like, well, hey, let's try to top 2019. Let's see if we can double the attendance from 400 to 800. So we've moved the event to Scottsdale, Arizona. It's a two-day event with a little stuff going on the day before, some VIP stuff, masterminds, happy hour, fun stuff. And uh, I think we've got, you know, in my opinion, one of the better lineups in real estate. I know there's a lot of great conferences out there, like, you know, that, that I respect, but I think um, for kind of our community and the size of where it is, like it's a community where people are going to come in and share and behind it, we're not selling some coaching program. We're not trying to enroll you in something else. Like we're just trying to have an event where we can all learn best practices and, and share what's going on in the industry. And the theme of this year's event is really like thriving in the midst of disruption, right? Like how do I, how do I build a business that continues to thrive and survive in the midst of disruption? And so holding it here in the Phoenix, Arizona area this year is kind of uh, fun because a lot of people haven't visited here and they don't know what's going on. They don't they haven't seen the billboards. They haven't seen all the stuff that we're dealing with, but it's, it's coming to a market near you. It's definitely found its way into Colorado recently, right? Now how much I heard a crazy stat and I don't know if it's true, but how, how much of your market is iBuyer transactions right now? 
Um, there's, there's somewhere between six and 7,000, I believe, iBuyer purchases last year, and then roughly the same number of sales because they buy the home, of course, and the iBuyer model is one that they're not holding. They're, they're then turning it around and putting it back on the market. So, you know, all total there, 10, 12,000-ish transactions is kind of a ballpark number for you. Um, in January of this year, they only, the, 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 the big four, if you will, or the big three, Zoo, Zillow, Open Door, OfferPad, and now Knock, they bought like 370 homes in January. So that was actually down over what they bought um, the previous January. Uh, it was down, I think 13% was the number that we read. Um, but you know, our prices are going up. It's, it's a hot market, low inventory. So just like it's hard for us agents to find inventory for our buyers to go under contract on, it's also starting to become high, harder for those iBuyers. Why do you think that that's taken so, like gotten so much traction in Phoenix specifically? Phoenix is the uh, like ground zero for disruption. Um, literally, like everybody starts here. I don't know what else to say, right? Like, like all your big real estate entrepreneurs and, you know, Kiyosaki lives here. Anybody you would think of in real estate, like starts here, or has a place here, or whatever it may be. Um, I, I would say there's probably a couple reasons, although I'm not like necessarily the most brilliant when it comes to all the reasons that stuff starts. But if you were asking for my speculation on some of the reasons, um, we have a lot of homes that have been built recently in the last 20 to 30 years. We got a lot of stucco homes that all look like each other. Uh, a lot of HOA communities where it's super easy to comp. We've got weather that doesn't have, you know, freezing plumbing issues and things like that. Um, the worst we get is, you know, a monsoon storm or whatever that rolls through or a haboob. What's that? Yeah, that thing, the dust 2020 thing. language. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that's probably a lot of the reason, uh, you know, our taxes are low here uh, in, in Arizona. Um, obviously, you know, we get a lot of winter visitors here. So you got a lot of second home purchases and investments and stuff like that. So yeah, we're kind of the bedrock for a lot of disruption. People come here to prove their model. And then when they prove it, then they, they go and expand it. And, you know, Open Door started here, Zillow started here, OfferPad started here. Um, you know, and we could, we could go through, there's some lease, lease option and lease purchase companies, sort of fractional ownership stuff that started up here in our market recently. So kind of like you're a, you're a pseudo renter, pseudo owner, like you might put 10 grand down on a house and own 5% of your home's value while somebody else owns the other 95. And as you make rental payments, you start, uh, you sort of, you take part in the 5% appreciation of the home. So we got some weird like stuff going on like that in our market as well. Um, I, I can't say for sure if like this is the, the home of where wholesaling started, but our contracts are assignable in Arizona. So definitely wholesaling, you know, picked up here probably quicker than other parts of the country. I didn't know that. Awesome. Fred, what is the deal with Dave Matthews Band? Like, oh, that's a great question. I mean, that's the, the only best one that likes Dave Matthews Band. I It's a waiting crowd, right? Yeah. We're not like it's a it's a smaller crowd today than it was in 1999. They're not playing Soldier Field and other stadiums. You know, <laughs> I get it. But um, you know, I got hooked on them in 1999. A buddy of mine, senior year in high school, took me to my first show in Phoenix, and it was July and it was hot as heck. And um, probably what got me hooked the most was the fact that like you know they let people record their shows, so they kind of followed the whole you know like some some bigger bands before them. And then, you know, they were into, you know, like, you know, you just find these, you know, one-off versions of songs that were played differently than other people and set list variations. So there's a lot of bands I like that play the same set list too, but 
you know, I'll go to a John Mayer show or something like that, or Need to Breathe is actually one of my other big bands. And, you know, they'll vary up their set list two or three songs, but DMV from night to night, you know, you can go to three shows uh, at Red Rocks or four shows at Red Rocks in a row like they did back in 05 and hear 80 different songs, right? So I just appreciate that about a band. Do you have a favorite song of Dave Matthews? Gosh, uh, probably Gray Street if I had it, if you're making me pick. Um, I mean, I'm not forcing you, obviously. I'm just okay. saying. Yeah, I don't know. That's, that's like, who's your favorite kid or something, right? Like, I have a lot of them. Oh, I have a favorite kid. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> um, how has being a dad, you are a dad now for, what, three years now. So how yeah. has being a dad changed life and business and how you travel and do all these things? Yeah, that's a great question, Jessica. Um, you know, I, I mean, I, I appreciate what I have probably a lot more in the last three years than ever before. Um, I took a long time when uh, my son, Freddie Penn, was born. He's the fifth. I'm the fourth. So I kept the naming convention going. Um, so I, uh, when he was born, I probably took two months off. Where I didn't show up to the office even once. Uh, but, you know, I felt like Kevin had had two kids by that point, And I had, you know, probably combined... Uh, held down the office for a couple months for him during those periods too. So I, I, and I just totally bonded with him and um, my schedule's a little bit different. I mean, uh, you know, obviously Kevin and I both have kids and wives and we're, you know, we're conscious about, we travel a lot, but we're conscious about not traveling back to back weeks unless it's unavoidable. Um, two night trips are usually the max. Um, three nights would be like for conferences, like a family reunion or, or a EXP event, something like that. Um, you know, I'm home every morning with my little guy till somewhere between eight and eight thirty. This morning, I almost stayed with him till nine. Um, our nanny comes over between eight and eight thirty usually, and then I try to get home. Like he's usually facetiming me at five if I'm not in the car asking where I am. Right, so it's it's definitely softened me up and you know caused me to like probably look at what I do more between the hours of nine and four thirty than anything else and be extremely productive. Um, I don't get up in the mornings early and really work. I mean, I'll check some emails and stuff while maybe he's watching a show or something, clean that out, but I don't, I don't work too much in the morning. And, you know, like last night I did some work after he went to bed, but that was also cause going out of town next week on my wife's a teacher. So we're going out of town for spring break with him and, you know, just trying to get more done in the five days I have this week leading up to a week out of the office. So that's probably how it's changed me is just time management and what I'm focused on. And, um, you know, just making sure I'm there for him and, and hanging out with him a lot because, uh, you know, I, number one, he loves it and I love him. So it's just fun, fun being around him. You answered my question. I was going to ask you what your wife did. I was going to ask the same thing. Yeah. She's a school teacher. She, um, I would love to get her a real estate license, but I don't think she would ever do it. She would definitely never work, work with me. Um, like that's just has no interest in it. She teaches orchestra to uh, elementary school orchestra to fourth, fifth and sixth grade kids. So she's a music major, has a master's and all that. Um, I hope she never listens to this later, but Kevin and I always joke because Kevin didn't even graduate uh, college. Uh, but both of our wives have masters and then, you know, they both like make very little money. So that's kind of a funny way the world works, uh, but they're both awesome and they contribute to our families. So we're not putting that down, but we always joke that they're the ones with all the, all the debt, right? All the, all the debt we had to pay off all the student loans. Right. Uh, so I asked, uh, I asked Kevin this, how does your wife handle all of this? 
Uh, truth be told, I, I feel like early on when we were broke and we were just trying to survive, like she probably knew a lot more about the business. And as there's become more, um, stability, although I use that word loosely, cause like some people are like, Oh, I can't wait to be where you are. Like, you know, like there's no worries or concerns. And I'm like, yeah, there's nothing, there's, there's no, there's no stable, like whatever we're, we're entrepreneurs. Like we got to go out next day and make more money. Right. Like it's like, we don't have reoccurring streams of income here as real estate professionals. So I think what I would say to that is my wife is, um, you know, aware of some stuff, but like, we don't, I don't talk that much about work. I mean, it's not that I'm hiding it from her, but I do think that's part of the partnership like dynamic. That's so great is that Kevin and I, like we'll start a conversation that sometimes ends like five days later or five hours later, just because we're it's in between the next meeting or a quick text or whatever. And so I think like, you know, we, we get a lot of our wins and frustrations out, like having partners and don't have to take all that home with us is probably what I would say. So works well. So I have a two parter. Um, what is um, the thing that you're most proud of Kevin for doing and accomplishing? And then what is um, the thing that you're most proud of, uh, of yourself doing? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, most recently, the thing that I've like given Kevin the most credit for is like building a podcast from ground zero and, um, you know, building it up to 20,000 plus downloads a month, which is, is pretty awesome and definitely takes some work. So that's been probably the thing I've given him the most credit for. Um, but overall, um, I hope he doesn't hear this, then he's gonna, he's gonna try to play it up. But what I respect about him is I feel like over the last few years, he's studied, he's read, he's listened to a lot of people, and he's become a sharper, better business person, where maybe, I don't know if this is true, or he would say it's true. But I feel like maybe naturally, like I think a little bit more like a business person and, and like he's developed that skill, but to the point where he absolutely has surpassed me in lots of just thinking ways around business. And I'm not as much of the reader and podcast listener and stuff like that. So I always tell him to read the book and then give me the two minutes of, you know, actionable content that I can do something with. Um, so I think that was probably the thing I'd, I would say I'd give him the most credit for or, or proud of if you want to use that language recently is just like his dedication and commitment to, to learning. And it's not all business, like it's health wise, it's, um, you know, sleep. He's gotten like, you know, just like way better. And I mean, I make fun of him because he's an old man that's always falling apart, but um, you know, he's, he's really like stepped up his knowledge game and his relationships. And, you know, like he's also, you know, he's also connected with a lot, a lot more people that I would say are well connected as, as his skill sets grow. And I think he has been able to connect with other people. Uh, me, I don't know. That's a good question. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, Kevin and I launched this thing that I was pretty proud of. And it was kind of one of those moments where he was like, if you want to do it, great. I, you know, like he had no interest in it and it, it worked really well. It was a lead generation thing that um, it was short lived. It probably lasted two and a half, three years for us, but you know, it turned into about 15 to 20% of our business there for a couple of years, as far as like a, a lead source. So I was pretty proud of that little piece. Um, you know, I, I don't, that's a really good question. I don't know. Maybe keeping it all together is kind of the like, you know, like right now it's it, as silly as it sounds like, but I, it, it takes almost two hours or hour, hour and a half every single week just to like go through our finances and make sure like we know where all the money's going and all, across all the different businesses we have going on right now. And like some stuff you guys know about some stuff you don't. So just like kind of keeping, keeping that all together. I think, you know, I, I, I would maybe love to be a little, 
less behind the scenes and more out front, but that's just kind of the season we're in. Like we're always in these seasons with Kevin and I where like, okay, cool. That's your thing. That's my thing. And then eventually we might hire it out or we give that up and go do something else. So I hope that was decent, a decent answer for you. That's all I got. <laughs> that was a good answer. <laughs> What's the one thing he does that drives you batshit crazy? Uh, oh, Only pick one. I have to pick one. <laughs> Look at his desk. Yeah, you see that right there? I've given up on him. I haven't given up on my wife, but I, I definitely walk around our house and still pick up after my kid and my wife because I'm the organized, clean freak. Oh my God, uh, Fred, but, we really are the same person. Yeah, we probably are, Jessica. Um, but yeah, Kevin, like, yeah, I, I just, you just kind of have to, like, I'll let him have his space. I'm like, cool, that's your big, giant drunk junk drawer. I threw, like, literally a box out that had been sitting over here just to my right a couple weeks ago. I was like, dude, you took that out of the box, like, on December 27th. Like, can we throw that away now? Uh, so I literally, like, took it out to the trash the other day because it was outside of his area, you know? So that's probably the thing that bugs me the most. You should put, like, a tape, like, tape down the center of the office. That's a great – well, yeah, I think it's kind of like an unsaid thing. You know, it's funny, I don't think you guys can see it, but there's literally boxes under his desk and to the side of his desk that are like, they're kind of like junk boxes. He just doesn't know what to do with the stuff. So it eventually goes into this like cardboard box and then we <laughs> shove it somewhere until we move again. And then I just throw it all out and don't tell him about most of it. It's like having a kid, like when you throw away broken crayons and stuff and they cry and you have to smuggle them out like a drug cartel. It's like- well, I'm just learning that lesson recently. I've been throwing a few things away in the trash, trying to bury them, but my kid somehow he goes and finds them. He's like, oh, dad, why did you throw this piece of yarn out? Like, this is my favorite yarn. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, buddy. I, I didn't know that. I found gravel in a bag in Hayden's room the other day, my 10 year old. And I was like, what is this bag of gravel? And he goes, was from kindergarten it was the best day of my life and I wanted to bring something home to remember and I was like well now I can't throw that away <laughs> real big jerk if I did wow yeah so are your um are your wives and like your families that close with each other too yeah um I'd say like you know that's all like the seasonality of that probably changes um like when we were all had no kids we were probably even closer to each other uh, proximity wise we lived a little closer um we're a little more I mean we live like 40 45 minutes away from each other but like I have a kid who has like certain nap schedules so like we actually hung out with with Kevin and Trisha and his his girls this past weekend and stuff and another another friend of ours so yeah I mean yes we're close we literally like vacation for two weeks or more every summer in San Diego and rent houses right next door to each other um but you know like again that just changes a little bit based on you know kids ages and seasons and how, how close we are but we're all pretty close overall what's next for you guys like what's the what's the next obviously growing next level agents next level agents live what's next for 4610 um truly um group 4610 like uh, i would say like our bigger passion today is um just empowering our agents to kind of, you know, be able to use our platform, if you will, our team, utilize it as a platform to sell more real estate. And it's way less about our goals of selling a thousand houses. At one time, I think that was cool. And then we sold 550 one year and you're just like, uh, okay, like, I don't know, is double that going to make me any happier? Like, I don't necessarily think it's the number of houses. It's like the people we're in business with matters, um, helping them achieve their goals matters. EXP is a huge, huge part of everything we're doing. Like 
it's just provided a whole different level of collaboration and partnership with people. People that would have never have teamed up with Kevin and I under the group 4610 umbrella are now partnered with us under EXP. And so while we don't officially own businesses together, it feels like I have way more business partners today than I've ever had before. Um, also a lot of diversifying. Um, Kevin and I are in the process of buying some more rental properties. I only own a couple right now. Um, we've got a, a house under contract and a few offers out right now or, uh, that we're working on. Um, we uh, uh, diversified a few years ago into another business that uh, is not in the real estate space. Um, so kind of consulting a little bit on that company. So, you know, I think just, um, you know, I, I want to say doing anything but selling real estate, but just kind of following our passion and like our, our, our energy is, is more towards like building businesses and partnering with people and, um, you know, building things. And, and it doesn't always, I think the place we've grown to is it doesn't have to look like we own all of it to, to enjoy it and have a lot of fun. Um, so, you know, I, I think historically I used to think like, Hey, you got to own a hundred percent of it. It's gotta be all you and like put all your time, energy, attention just into that. And then, you know, I'm not saying that there's a one path for everybody, but the path Kevin and I follow more recently is like, Hey, where, where do we have the most fun? What's the most exciting? How do we diversify a little bit outside of real estate? How do we make sure we're not just selling real estate, but also owning it and building wealth? Because I don't care who you are. If you own 10 more houses 20 years from now and somebody else is paying the rent down on them, you're going to be way happier than, you know, just selling 10 more houses every single year and never buying those investments, you know? Um, now, great. The investments have problems and property management and all that, but I mean, they go up in value and people pay down your mortgage, right? So just try to probably a lot more focus on um, net worth and a lot less on just like cash flow and how much did I make last month, you know? So um, more residuals and, 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 you know, more, more business lines, but also in that, and I know I'm long winded on a lot of these answers, but also in that, just trying to stay, stay clear of um, not saying yes to too many things either because there's only so much time in the day. So we found ourselves doing something earlier this year that we already had to time out and it's barely the third month of the year, right? And uh, we're like, okay, we gotta pause that. Maybe we'll pick that up later, but right now NLA Live has us consume time, energy, and attention. And um, so, you know, just had to say no to something. Yeah, I love that. I need to be better about that. I'm terrible at saying no to things. How do you learn to do that better? How have you learned to, to do that? Or is that something you've never struggled with? Like um i think for your personality Lindsay, like and probably kevin's like i'm just being real like i think it's more challenging like i feel like i care a lot less what other people think about me now that doesn't mean i'm i, I don't care because i really do if i'm being honest but i think i just care less so some people are more emotionally connected to that and i just think i care a little less um so yeah i think you know try not to please everybody the thing you know, this is a trick. It may have been Gary Keller that taught us this trick. If not, I picked it up at KW over the years, like really like sitting down on Friday night or Saturday or Sunday night and analyzing your calendar for the week or two weeks ahead and just asking yourself like, which of these appointments do I need to cancel, postpone or cut? And, you know, what do I need to accomplish this week that's not in my schedule that I need to block out a few hours? So um, I think I think that's been big. And then something we picked up from John Cheplak a lot recently is just this idea of micro commitments, right? And so if you're really clear on what your micro commitments are for the week or what, however that time frame looks, I think it allows you to say no to other things because you're super laser focused on these are the three things I said have to get done and I'm held accountable to them and I stated it in front of all these people. And so like I, I'm more willing to say no to these things if I know for sure I can't get those things done. 
So, you know, probably some more like accountability group-esque type, you know, public statements have, have probably guard and help against that. Ooh, I don't want to publicly let people hold me accountable. <laughs> okay, so last question. What's a perfect weekend for the Weaver household? Oh, man, uh, probably doesn't look like other people's perfect weekend, but I would say I'm home 5, 5.30, probably shut the phone off right about then. I may, I'm getting better at shutting the phone off. Um, not always right when I go home, but I, I've been, I'd say I'm probably batting like 40 to 50%, maybe as high as 60% over the last three to four months of having my phone off for a 24 straight hour period over the weekend. So that's been pretty good. Um, Disconnecting. It's hard the first few hours, but the longer I go, the easier it gets. Um, Two naps with my kid. Like I love napping, like especially since I had a kid. So I'm not going to lie. I've always loved to take naps. So I nap with my kid. We call them special treat naps. So on the weekend, him and I nap in the same bed in our back you know guest room or whatever uh and during the week he naps in his room obviously um yeah I mean it's like just activities with my family like and a lot of it revolves around him not to say my wife and I don't do things my wife and I have a date night every Monday so that's not really weekend but like that's our date night where our nanny comes over later in the day and stays later at night um so it's just a lot of relaxation and stuff so I mean I went to a concert this past weekend Dave Matthews band right um but yeah normally like it's not it's not a lot of I don't actually do that much for me you know it's probably one place that I need to improve is like figure out what my hobby is or my thing but I feel okay with that right now especially when my kid's little but as he gets a little older here like I gotta find my hobby and what my thing is other than working I don't know what that is like I used to be good at basketball I'm out of shape now and old I don't like golf it takes too much skill I'm not a fisher. I'm not a car guy. Uh, so I don't know what my, I haven't figured out what that thing is. I got, I got to figure that out, but yeah, the perfect week right now is just a lot of time with family and lots of naps and hanging out and uh, hopefully having my phone off for a 24 hour stretch. I have one more tiny little question. So if there was anyone on the planet that you could get to show up to NLA live, who would it be? Like, who is that person that you're like, Oh my God, I would kill for them to come to my conference. Uh, like a speaker or like anybody, a, I mean, besides Dave Matthews, obviously, but yeah, that would be kind of cool. We should like, I think like Friday night, we should have a private DMV show out at talking. Right? Kind of cool. Like they do it. Microsoft pony up a lot more money to make that happen. Yeah. Um, I don't, you know, I, okay. Maybe a slightly cheesy answer, but I'll just give it like I, I, the, the team owner that, you know, literally is kind of in that messy middle right now of growth where maybe their team's five or 10 people big, or maybe they even have 20 or 30 and maybe other people think they're raving wild success, but like they know that they're still trying to figure it all out too, or that indie broker owner that's 10, 20, 30, 50 people. Like those are the people I want to NLA because they contribute the most. Like they're the people that are, they're, they're putting it out there. Like they're like other people look at them as a raving success and they're probably a little more critical and, and know that they're kind of a work in progress and they're, they're still a mess, even though they're supposed to look like they have it all together. Um, so those are the people that I want. I don't know that I can give you an exact name. I mean, um, we, uh, well, I mean, I could, Kevin would say, and I would, I would agree with him. That's fine. But Kevin would say Gary V and, um, uh, we actually, you know, Angela, <laughs> yeah, we actually inquired about that, but it's a, our ticket prices would have to be a little more expensive. Oh yeah. Um, so funny known fact though, um, Kevin and Gary V's sister have gotten to be pretty good friends recently. So, 
Uh, I said we should bring her to NLA Live at some point. Maybe that's a future thing. Right. Yeah, he's a cool dude. That would be awesome. Well, thank I'm you. Sorry, Lindsay, if that was a lame answer, but I, I guess I don't like have like heroes or something that I like really want to hear show up. Um, so I'm just going to go with like the people that I think bring the most to an event and like they're the most fun to also visit with and talk to and figure out what they're trying. And like that's a little selfish too, because those are usually the people that are trying lots of stuff and they're fun to hang around. Well, you're like homies with all of my heroes. So I'll just be very <laughs> glad <laughs> that I get to come to NLA Live. and. I'm sit maybe in the front row if I wake up at like three in the morning and grab my seat first and see them all up there. I love it. Well, hey, let me say one last thing about NLA Live. Um, you know, anybody out there listening, uh, there's a lot of you, I'm sure. Uh, you should reach out to one of these ladies because they have a really big discount that they can't post publicly, but because they are speaking and participating, that they would love to pass along their friends and family huge discount to you. And uh, we're, we're a money back guarantee, seriously. I'll make Cody write you a check on the spot if you didn't enjoy day one of NLA Live. Cody will personally write you a check. I hope it cashes, I don't know, you can ask him. But I'll make him, I'll make him give you your money back. Like that's how much we believe in it and I think it's gonna be a great event. And uh, we have an awesome lineup. So Does Cody show up? Oh, sorry, he said no. NLAlive.com and we'll, we'll link that in the comments. But, um, does Cody show up in that like um, bespoke three-piece suit when it's yes. 100 plus degrees in Phoenix? Yes. Every um, time. Yeah, I don't think Cody knows how to be in front of an audience without being dressed up. Yes. Uh, I think That's he goes true. against his religion. Yeah. He should be sponsored by whoever's making those suits because they're right? damn pretty for sure. <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta imagine he is. Come on. Totally. No, he absolutely is. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if he's got like his initials on the cuffs and all that kind of stuff, he but if he, okay, he probably does. You're right. And his socks, like, I, I mean, it's I, like, like I, yeah. his, his closet, like you probably won't understand this reference at all. You're going to go there. Aren't you? I'm going there. I can't even believe I'm saying this. Oh my God. Cody Gibson, please don't listen. Um, Cody Gibson, like when he opens his closet to me in more ways than just the suits, it looks like Christian Gray's closet. I'm swearing up, down, and sideways with yeah, all the fancy no suits and all the shirts and all that. Mm, every girl that's listening right now knows exactly. Is that like that movie, whatever that movie was called? Yes, yes, yes it is. That'll, that'll yes. show you how few movies I watch. I don't like movies. You didn't ask me like weird things oh. about myself. I don't like movies. Just, we are like the same person. Oh, you don't like movies either? I, I hate them. Like, I don't like movies. I like TV shows. Like there's Me TV too, because they're short and sweet and to the point. What's short, your favorite TV show? Yep. Or, the, or it's like, you know, it's building on itself, but like you can't can't like, get a great plot and resolve it in two hours like even a great book you can't read in two hours and I do uh, like fiction books and Kevin makes fun of me I don't read business books I actually read like fiction books sorry okay favorite tv show and favorite book really fast then or favorite author uh, I like all of Lee Child's books the yes. Jack Reacher series but I hate yeah. the movies um yeah, they're terrible um uh, i also read like john grisham and some of that kind of stuff uh mm -hmm. tv show uh we're in the middle of narcos right now the newest season my wife and i so that's pretty good uh i think it just just started i don't know mm -hmm. we just figured out we had new episodes of it in the last couple weeks so well thanks for coming on today we super appreciate your time yeah, yeah thanks for having me guys i appreciate it we're excited to see you next month all right looking forward to it all right bye guys see ya bye We hope you loved our show today. If you enjoyed it, do the homegirls a favor and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen. Share this episode with all of your homegirls and friends and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter 
at homegirlco.